Welcome back to the Activation Project podcast, where we activate your mind, activate your tribe, and activate the world. We have Jijo back here again for part two of this extremely riveting episode about his life story. Man, are we just getting started. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Shoot away the questions and uh, we'll resume. (laughs) So the last where we left off, you were fixing a computer at an orphanage when a man with a hat approached you. And so I was wondering, what was that feeling that you had when you met him? Like something inspired you enough to go and ask your friends to teach you English because you didn't speak English, just so you could call him to communicate with him. So he must have had an impact on you. Yeah, definitely. That's a great question. You guys really are very good at this, by the way, <laughs> because you're really hitting, we like hitting to get on the nail. Into the deeper level. Yeah. Like, oh, I see you met a man. Like, what did you feel when you met the man? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will speak of my feeling when I met a man, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so he was very handsome. No, I'm just kidding. So I thought if I could learn to speak, like they do. I have always been told that if you can learn English, the world is yours in many ways, that you can actually get around if you can speak English. And so I don't have a college degree. I don't have anything to boast about as far as my technical abilities. And I suffered quite a bit from not being able to articulate anything in foreign languages. And I thought that if I can maybe befriend them, maybe I can learn something from them. That was really what was going on after I met the guy and he invited to his home. And I thought this is a good connection to have for professional growth. That was in my mind to be completely transparent. (laughs) Yeah. And, And so I thought that's great. When I first called him eight months later with all the notes that I made in order to speak to them, I'm going to place them here and I'm going to look at them and I should be able to read that back and we're good to go. And the Australian man gets on the phone, says things, he chuckles about what he's saying and I understand the zilch of that. Like nothing. Complete blank paper on my side. And I started laughing with him. I don't know what he said. I have no idea. I started laughing with him and uh, at the end of it, he said, so see you on Sunday. He said, yeah, see you on Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) So we said 2 p.m. And that Sunday I took a train and then a small boat to cross the island. And I thought he was going to be there. There was another guy in the same Jeep, another Caucasian man waiting for me. And so I shook hands. I have a question about your transportation fare, because I know that you said like a ticket to go see your mom was really expensive. Was it a costly trip for you? Were you worried about that? No, this one I had a season pass for the, you know, because it's like a subway train. So you would buy for the month and you can travel unlimited. So it didn't cost anything. The only thing that costed me was the phone call to tell them that I have arrived and about to board the boat so they can drive from the other side of the island to come get me. So it wasn't that expensive at all. I don't remember what the uh, boat cost was. I don't remember. So I got there. I got in the car. He started speaking English. I said, no English. And so he started speaking Hindi. And I said, no Hindi. <laughs> and so he, he said, oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> and that was the end of the conversation. And the whole time I sat there next to him and we went to their home. But Olivia, do you remember the magazine that they made? What year was this? 2002, yeah. you said? Yeah. 
And they produce this magazine for, huh? The zine? No, Activated. Oh, Activated. Of course, of course. I made our home in Guatemala the number one producing home for Activated Society. Wow. That is crazy. Yeah, yeah. So Activated, this man was the editor-in-chief from Canada of Activated. So you would know him. And I'm scrambling for his name. I believe his first name was John, at least what they called him. His name was John, and he would his picture would be there on every episode on the on the inside cover with the editorial yes. notes. Yes, of course, of course. So that was him, and he was at the time spending time in India when he came to pick me up, and he was learning Hindi in order to produce Activated in Hindi in India. And so he's the one who picked me up. And what? <laughs> I can see. I know this is going to be on audio first, but I see all of these expressions. Well, just really. <laughs> talk about activated so i had run away from home when i was 15 Mm. i came back i got super on fire i had my first spiritual experience and i just i got all the other young people on fire to serve the lord and all of this stuff and at that time mama maria the leader of the family was really trying to push activated she was like this is the new future of the family go out there get people activated but the homes were not incentivized to do it because it only cost $12 for the people to sign up which is nothing you're not going to make money off of it but it would get them these magazines every month and we could use that as a way to coach them and add value to their lives right yeah. so it was yeah. kind of switching from us just going with our handouts to make money as opposed yeah. to actually giving service and I saw the value in it right away. I was like, mm-hmm. I can do this. I can go knock on the lawyers, the business owners, the doctors. I can go talk to these professional people because this looks professional as fuck. And it makes us look professional as fuck. And so that's what I did. I started hitting the streets and activating, activating people. And I loved it. I was so passionate about it. Wow, that's amazing. And I've done my share of selling of activated or help sell in India, the English version of that. And in fact, I have probably 20 or 30 of them still with me, those magazines that I've held on to. And anyway, we got to the house and it was a big bungalow with like eight bedrooms and it was a massive bungalow. And they had several more families. There was a family from Canada, family from Australia and New Zealand. There was a family from California. And the California family, they had brought some computers from the US that of course did not work in India because of variations and voltage and stuff like that. Plus they had some memory that they bought that they wanted me to upgrade, software upgrades. I was there for about three, four hours working on these computers for them. And at the end of it, you know, David James and his family was on the other side of the quarters. And so we walked over there. They gave me dinner. So I was eating with them. And they said, there's one more computer if you want to take a look at. So sure. And it was like a really small Sony laptop. And I didn't want to touch it because Sony laptops has always been very complicated to do anything with. So I said, yeah, I don't want to really do that. And so as we just had a chat, he asked if I knew God. And so I said, "Uh, yeah, a little bit. And then he asked what kind of beliefs that I had. And I told him that I was Catholic. So his eyes kind of lit up. This is the same man who met me at the orphanage the first time. And so he started, you know, reading some scripture. And then obviously they would normally go to the verse, John 3.16, who would say, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that you and I may have eternal life. And at the time, again, it's very broken English. 
Um, and, and he explained that, you know, forgiveness can be received now and that's how Christianity works. And so I told him that that's not what I've learned in the Catholic school. And it's like that you do all the good things and you find out when you get there, if you're going to go to heaven or hell, etc. And then he assured me in the scriptures, that's not what the scripture says. And I read it for myself. But then I said, you know, something doesn't sound right about the way the scripture even speaks about it. Because, you know, in Catholic order, you don't even really read all that much scripture to speak. You just kind of skim over, skip over a lot of things. You don't really learn it. You just ritually read it. So from there, he gave me a tape uh, to listen to. I received the tape before it, but he gave me another copy of that tape. And if you remember, Olivia, that tape titled How to Win. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I grabbed the tape. They gave me some books. And Wait, was it in before... English? Yes, in English. That night, he asked me if I want to receive the Lord. And I knelt in their bedroom holding his hand and his wife's hand. They prayed the what is commonly known as the salvation prayer. And I went home. And then from there onwards, I would go to different homes in Bombay. There were about eight different homes there and helping with their computers, software issues, all of that. But this tape, I didn't have a tape recorder or anything like that to listen were they, to. Were they paying you? I think they may have. I'm not sure. I don't remember. Important factor. Probably not. I am not entirely sure. They may have paid me some. They're I like, may have refused I'll be it. with you. Goodbye. Thank you. That was your payment for helping fix our computers. <laughs> well, they gave me books and tapes to read. And I think I may have. I, I usually, a lot of times, I don't, I never done that for money, money. As in a lot of times, I just help people with computers. Like, you know, how we got on the graphics thing and we said, okay, let's do this. Sounds exciting. Let me help you with this. So whenever I have time, I kind of do that. I always done it. I still do. I still attend quite a few computers here and there for mostly just that I can help somebody. And so no praise to me. I'm just sorry if I sounded like that, but just generally just wanted to help out. So I went out just kind of flipping through the pages. I don't really understand it. I can read a few words here and there. This is 1998, so kind of getting used to some of the English, broken English. And I went home and I asked for uh, to borrow a tape recorder from like a little Walkman, Sony Walkman from one of my roommates at the time. I lived with four other guys at the time and he gave it to me, started listening. And I said, I didn't understand a thing from this. Like, first of all, it's another British accent, completely different. I didn't understand a thing. I asked the landlord's son who went to English medium school. So I thought he would know. And he and I sat down for the next several weekends to write down everything that was on that tape, except the songs. We didn't write the songs down. Everything word by word. And then I sat down with a dictionary. To Wait, understand. No. is this song in it? Bend in the road. Yeah. Bend, Bend in, in the road. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the one. <laughs> Two little frogs fell in the cream. Two frogs fell what? in the can of cream, or so I heard it. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. In fact, one of those songs called Walk a Mile, Walk a Mile in His Shoes. Do you remember that one? Walk a mile, walk a mile in his shoes. Yes. Put down, criticize, or abuse. Take the time to feel the things he's going through. Be just how it feels to walk a mile in his shoes. That's it. <laughs> Guess what I'm doing in my spare time at home with my daughter? I'm teaching her how to sing it with me. 
on the guitar, and we actually nearly nailed it. <laughs> I love it. Sometimes good, so, sometimes bad. Okay. Yep, that's the one. So we sat down and wrote this whole thing down, and I started reading it. I will tell you, that was the first time I've heard words of encouragement from another human being. And I started reading and so I started understanding and I would read it over and over and then I would play it in my ear and I would, you know, trace the words with my finger trying to feel, oh, wow, that's how you say something like that. That's how you express it on and on and on. And this tape, I worn it out because I would listen to it like three, four times a day. And then they gave me another copy. They did not know what the obsession was about, but they would know a little later. I actually started speaking English because of these tapes. There were others. And then these books. David Moses, all of those, Karen Zerbe's writings. I just, I started like, okay, I'm in a different world now. I, in my mind, I would walk in the night in the streets of Bombay looking for old booksellers. They would open up their stores after 10 o'clock, 10 p.m. when the curfew is over and they would lay out all of their books by the several different streets. You can go and buy these American books, the English books. And I started reading them. And I remember the first novel that I read and I laughed because I understood a joke in English. The joy that day was immense. And it was a novel called uh, Shall We Tell the President? And it was uh, almost like a crime series of some sort where they were trying to attempt to kill the U.S. president and not succeeding because of an FBI agent. It was a whole story. And I was like, and there's like, you know, subtle jokes here and there. And I laughed at one in the train. Wow. And I was just overwhelming. And I started reading more and I was understanding more. And I was like, I really do understand this. And I couldn't believe it myself. And 1999 passes, 2000, I'm starting to speak a bit more. I'm starting to verbalize and put words together to sentences. I said, I'm going to go do another interview and see maybe I can get another job. Before that, I actually went and did eight different tests for Microsoft, and I blew through them all, English tests. I was like, okay, getting somewhere. And I started buying more and more books. And I'm hanging out with these guys every weekend, never missing an opportunity to stay with them, watch English movies. So I started watching with them, Hollywood movies. And they would sometimes pause for me and said, did you get that joke? Or oftentimes in the beginning in the movies, it was never understood. So I would say, no, they would stop and explain it for me. And after that, I started buying pirated books because you couldn't buy new ones in India for a price that I could afford. I bought pirated books from all these technology companies, from Sun Solaris and IBM and Microsoft, and started clearing papers. And that was my next game to attend interviews. So I got interviewed by IBM, and I worked for IBM for a little bit through their reseller. I worked for Red Hat, another Linux maker. I would also get tremendous amount of rejection. And then one day my former colleagues would call and say, hey, Microsoft is interviewing. You may want to try. And I said, no, Microsoft, that's a big game. I'm not going to get there. To week two, he would ask, did you go? And so finally, under his pressure, I would go to interview. I walk into the conference room like this, and then they say, oh, the interview's on the phone. I never had an interview on the phone before. And they're conducting these interviews in the night, almost Indian evenings, which is morning in Seattle. And so we have to wait a certain amount of time before they come. And then six of these guys in Microsoft called into that and interviewed me. I asked a few general technology questions. And then they asked me, what is your favorite dish? Take us from grocery store to dining table. And I explained, I told them what my favorite dish was and I told them how to cook it. 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 Huh? Tell us. Oh, it was dal and rice, the poor man's lunch. 
Lentils and rice, yummy. Yeah, lentils, yeah. And that, that was the poor man's lunch, and I explained how to get it there. And they said, oh, all right, when can you join? And that was an utter shock for Microsoft, asking me, when can you join? And I said, oh, the usual two weeks. And he said, done, give me the date. Why do you think they asked you that question as a gauge for whether they should hire you? They were hiring people in India to support Fortune 500 companies in the U.S. They wanted to make sure that you can actually talk and understand and explain. They want to make sure that you can actually go through the details of something rather than just read something out back to them. So that's what they were testing. They said, if you can explain that, we can teach you technology. Not a problem. Wow. 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 Do you have any questions? No, that was just amazing. That is incredible. And then I was going to ask you, so what else is starting to happen at this time? So it sounds like you're starting to elevate yourself out of like the economic The poverty side, yeah. And were you sending money back to mom? Like what was yeah. What was your love life always, like now? I guess you were more confident probably. Yeah, I uh, briefly had a relationship with somebody from Russia. When you were 25? Yeah. That's your first girlfriend? Mm-hmm. Okay. And it ended because my mother refused to have her in my sister's wedding. It was not culturally acceptable for me to have a girlfriend, especially at my sister's wedding. And on top of that, she's not from India. So mom was thinking on two, one cultural aspect, two, who's going to stay on my sister's show, did not want that. So they both opposed to that. And I think if I spoke to more cousins and relatives, they would all oppose to that. So I had explained that to her and I couldn't miss my sister's wedding. And that kind of put a dent on the relationship and it went down the pipes after and it was over. How was that for you? Were you fighting against it internally? I tried doing fighting with them quite a bit. But I fought it internally. It's just, girlfriend. God. Yeah. But India, you don't have one of those. Were you in love? I really liked her. I mean, I can, yeah, I, I did like her. I was in love with her. Okay, we'll get there after. So. Yeah. You get hired by Microsoft. Yeah. And so I started working there and, you know, it was kind of nice. I, for the first time, had an American phone number at my desk <laughs> working for Microsoft. But before even started for Microsoft, uh, HR in India rejected me, even though the interview cleared me and I couldn't join right away. And this one guy who leads a lot of Microsoft's messaging email systems or that type of business was looking for me. And I got to know that through the friend who invited me to interview. And so I gave him my cell phone number in India. And the main interviewer called me asking me why the F did I not join yet? And I said, I was rejected after the interview. I said, who rejected? I said, HR. Why? I said, I don't have a degree. And so they could not onboard me. And he said, screw that. I'll be right back. And so he hung up. And about 15 minutes later, he called. He said, you're joining on this day now. And I will speak to you then. Okay, and then first he said, of all, how unheard of is it for the, someone, for a company like Microsoft to say, screw that to you not having a degree? Yeah. Well, he said, you know, I much later I actually had a conversation. I said, it was actually foolish for us to demand a degree from someone where our founder did not have one. Mm. That was his explanation to me. Wow. And so, yeah, they <laughs> invited me and they told me what my pay was. And I was like, my eyes came out of the socket. And he said, um, it's negotiable if you're not happy with it. And I said, locked and loaded, I'm good. No more conversations about this. I was offered 600% more than what I was making. 
without even asking oh for gosh. it for that. And then I went into supporting Microsoft Fortune 500 companies. And then later they put me on the military support for the United States, which is an exclusive club at the time, <laughs> and um, worked for them for a while. And then I went to work for General Electric for a very short time. And I was supposed to come to the U.S. for the first time. But now, by the way, I never had any imagination of ever coming to the U.S. or anything. I could not. Why did you switch from Microsoft to General Electric? The hours was quite horrific. Okay. My hours at Microsoft was always ended up 10 hours to 18 to 19 hours. Because when you're supporting certain companies or certain offices, you could not really leave the call, leave the support call until it is fixed. That's the contract. You can hand it to somebody, but oftentimes I just wanted to see through. So it was not entirely there. Beyond, I mean, but then I wanted to really get out and explore something more. And GE did not last long. It was a very different culture and I did not really like what I was given as a job. And so I looked for another company and I wanted to move close to my mom. That was the main motivation, really, to move close to my mother so she could come join me so that a ride, you know, the bus ride is not too far. So I moved to the city of Bangalore. Okay. And then, of course, reconnect with everybody from the family again there and start to have fellowship, start working for this startup based out of New York City. And about really quick, yeah. are you tithing to one of the homes? Yes. Which one? Was it the original people you've met? At the time when I started tithing, it was a family from Switzerland, the last part of it. So I tithed in different places. Oh, so you were um, just tied to who? Okay, whoever maybe. Yeah, whoever I was primarily going to. Okay, you know, I was onboarded as a fa uh, you know field member, and one of the families claimed me as their disciple and whatnot, and so they put me down in their list of names. So there was the Australian family first, then there was Californian family from Fresno second, and then the third one was the Swiss family. So did they not ask you to join the group, the home? Yeah, yeah. Uh, several times I considered it. The problem, of course, on my end was, okay, I will go there now. Why I did not join all those years as a full time. The first was just as I was learning more and more and English became quite fluent for me. Do you remember that little green book called The Treasures? Of course. Page number 144. I ran into a big problem on page number 144. Page number 144 explained the end of Mosaic law and the law of love and the law of Jesus that covered everything. As long as you love each other, you are welcome to do whatever you want. And when at the time, there may be some interest in terms of this is right after my Russian girlfriend and I broke up and I'm contemplating joining. Maybe I could join and then find a wife to marry, etc. That was in my mind. And when I learned those things, I kind of confronted them. And they were both Australian, the American guys were there. And they kind of, in the beginning, they tap danced on it because they thought that it was too early for them to kind of explain anything, even though I've known them now at that point, almost four years. They didn't share a lot with me. I did a lot of work for them, work with them, going to the hospitals, outside, outreach, uh, by the beach, you know, giving out tracks, selling, activated, did all of that, but it really didn't go through any of their big training. And at that point, the American family, I think they may have been just kind of signal to leave. So the American, uh, sorry, the Australian family. So the American family's husband could stay back and talk to me. And so everybody left and he asked me to sit down and he said, we have sexual freedom in our life. 
And so I was in for a big shock because up until then, I thought that this group was Christian. They didn't believe anything like that. They came here to India to serve. And now they're kind of opening up to something that I didn't expect. And then he shared more. And then he told about their young people's lives to their wives, their husbands, all of that. And my head was just exploding with that level of information and a major shock. And you can expand a little bit on what exactly were the radical sexual beliefs as they explained it to you. That day, they only talked about them allowing their young children to, not children, but teenagers to explore their sexuality or, you know, having boyfriend and girlfriends, live-in boyfriend, girlfriend, et cetera, to that they allowed uh, their wives and husbands to share with other people as long as there is an agreement, prayer agreement and whatnot. Oh, they called their dating. I never heard the word dating before. And so I was in for a shock. And so that Saturday, I went home heartbroken about what I just learned because leaving Catholic church was an ordeal. When I left, there was a lot of attacks, especially attacks on my mother and the church, calling her out, singling her out and saying, look what happened to her son, what her son did. And they attached a lot of that to upbringing, which obviously me and my mother for not you know, bringing me up correctly in the Catholic church. Dad is no longer there. And I didn't hear about a lot of this for a long time. I heard about it afterwards, but I was getting hints. My, some of my relatives, my cousins, they didn't want to talk to me anymore. They were all gone away. My friends who I knew from the church didn't want to talk to me anymore when I left the Catholic Church. So I paid a humongous price to leave the Catholic Church to practice Christianity with this group. And now I'm in big trouble, I thought, in my faith journey. And I stopped visiting them. I stopped talking to them. I kind of deleted them from my address book would not take their phone calls. I would skip them. There would be a lot of phone calls come to my office. There would be messages for me to call them back. And I just disappeared for about seven months. And this Australian family, I was there. They went back to Australia. They came back. They tried to connect with me. I finally said, okay, to them and went back, started sitting down with them again. And we started having this conversation. I told them about what I ran into page number 143 and 144, and I could not accept it. And they said, you should not do what you do not have faith for. And if you don't believe those things, if you don't believe you're not there yet, don't worry about it. You can still be a member. You can still support us and we will have you as a field member. And so I opted to become a field member at that point. And that's all I've done ever since. And that is the reason why I did not join. And there was another time where... Well, the FM stands for... I forgot. We had to lower our status to FM... I personally did a couple times. I did when I went to Chicago to fundraise. I had to go down to FM status from FB. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't remember what FM stood for. So it sounds like field member. Got it, got it. Uh, okay. That's what I remember. Well, that's I, could, what, I mean, that's I think right. they had a few abbreviations, but field member is the one that I remember. Oh, you know, I think they t- might have changed it to family member. Okay. And then FD was the yeah. top one, which is family disciple. Right. So anyway, I rejoined in a way, but, you know, skipping those portions that I didn't agree with or I had a heartburn about and continued to serve and serve with them the whole time. I believe that was serving God with them and would still do their retreats, you know, the weekend retreats and things like that. I still would go to their fellowship everywhere for many, many years to come. And then after the Microsoft job, I went to the Bangalore job and that CEO came visiting India and said, hey, I've heard good things about you. And I also heard about a certain person that you're interested in. This was the long distance relationship that I kind of developed towards the end of my Microsoft time and someone in the States. And so how did y'all start talking? 
it was a Yahoo Messenger Christian group that I was part of. Oh, we just started okay. talking there. Yeah. When again, Microsoft, I had a US phone at my desk and I had a US phone in, in the other office. And so I could easily call her and talk to her. But my boss knew about it. And my boss told the CEO about this relationship. And uh, when he visited India, and that was three months after I joined, he called me into his India office there and asked me to sit down. And he said, what is your future plan? And I said, I actually applied for immigration to Canada at the time. And I was going to go to Canada, work for IBM. And he said, uh, you're not going anywhere. You're coming with me to New York and you're going to work in New York with me. I was like, wow, I didn't expect that. I was like, wow, New York, unbelievable. I like unimaginable. I didn't even know I was going to get through Canada in the first place. But uh, I want to pause here for a second to talk about this whole Canada deal was that I, I used to go and service computers for this one guy. And he would always tell me, you can make a better living in the US or Canada if you go there. And I said, no, I don't have means to go there. I don't have any money with me. You know, this was right before Microsoft days. I don't have any money. And so he would say, you know, inquire about it. I'm going to cut it short just in, in the interest of time. But he had me inquire about how much money would each of these take. And I understood that you could not go to the US without a degree. There's no way you can go. But Canada accepts it and you have to qualify. And I was able to pre-qualify myself by taking two years worth of French at the time. So Canada accepts French also. If you have French education, they take that. So I went and took two years of French from the French consulate and applied for it. And right after that, is September 11th happened. This is right before I joined Microsoft. September 11th happens. Everything gets shut down, including Canadian immigration system. They say, we're going to put a pause to this whole thing. And so it would take five years from there before I actually get an okay to go to Canada. But in between, I was servicing this one computer for this one old man who was a managing director of a German pharmaceutical company who retired and was investing. And in. he, he would play Solterre, a very specific Solterre made in Germany. And it required special software special hardware attached to this computer. And every now and then it would break down and, and I would come to help him. And this couple didn't have any children. They were like extremely wealthy. I mean, they lived right next to World Trade Center in Bombay. And so they would bring me with them, sit with me, which has never happened in India. If you are from a worker who is from outside, you normally never sit down with the owner of the house. They always just loved me and put all the chocolate in my bag before I go home every time I went to visit them. He said, I'll help you go to Canada. And he, one day he takes me to this bank and puts 25,000 US dollars into my account and put his name on that same account and say, go and you can pay me when you get there and make your money. This is what this man did for me out of nowhere. I didn't ask for it. I didn't even think that he had that intention. And he kept asking for what my future was going to be like. He saw something or God through him saw something and wanted to support that effort. And he put $25,000. That was a boost for my, you know, self as in, wow, I mean, somebody trusts me uh, with this amount of money. Can you imagine? I couldn't dream of $8 a month to this man putting $25,000 into my account. And um, so you went from like $8, your father made $8 a month to feed you guys on. When you yeah. saw that as a child, what did you imagine for your future? Like, what were your thoughts? What were your focus? Did you, were you focused on more money? Like, No, money was never really an object for me because I came from a poor family. I wanted to have enough for us. I wanted to be able to feed my mom and uh, have her a better life after dad passed away and being able to support my sister and brother who were both in school at the time when my dad died. That was the end of my dreams. Supporting them, being able to feed them. That was it. 
I didn't have any dreams. If there was uh, any other dream that materially came, that probably came after I moved here. <laughs> Nothing before us. <laughs> well, you know, when you grow up in those type of situations and dreaming is not supported, it's not encouraged, it's none at all. It's like, you know, you face reality each day and never encourage. That's why I emphasized on, I've never heard an encouraging message before, the tape, how to win. Never heard it. There's no such support system back home. Now they do. Now they do exist, at least in our family, because I call my cousins and my nieces and nephew to say an encouraging word here and there. Even today, right before the call, I was on the phone with my nephew, encouraging him to the things that he was doing. So anyway, back to this, I didn't imagine much for myself financially at all. I, I can't, I'm, I'm still... You've never had probably even been around very much money. So it's kind of... No. Especially if it hadn't been imprinted, it would have been hard for you to project that. to Right, imagine. exactly. Yeah, yeah. We always bored and bored and bored. That's my life always been. And then after that experience, went to work for Microsoft and went to work for this company, startup company in Bangalore. And because of September 11, they kind of canceled the whole immigration, not canceled, put a pause on the immigration, which the other guy I knew about. And he called me one day and he said, hey, I need to move this money sitting there and making nothing. I thought you were going to use it right away, but looks like you will need more time. So I'm going to go ahead and pull that out. And you tell me when you need it again, and I'll put it back. So he, you know, he pulled the money to reinvest because, you know, $25,000 sitting there with nothing being earned on it. And it's been already two years, three years past. It's still sitting there. So, and he was nice enough. I mean, who would care to even call me to tell? I mean, he was such a nice man. He still is. (laughs) <laughs> but that gave me a boost, right? And so when I heard from the CEO, he wanted me in New York. And then he said, and by the way, I know of your relationship. I want you to have the best life. And so come to New York, marry her, live in New York, work with me. And that's what he asked. So I said, yes. And then for months, they could not figure out a way to bring me to US because of you know, education again. <laughs> and so we were running up against this again and until they found out that they can do an intra transfer if I stayed there for one year in that company. So I had to stay now one whole year. And right at the end of that one year, my Canadian immigration would come through with all the papers and ask me to move to Toronto and report to the IBM's office. So I told my boss about it and he said, no, 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 don't do this. You can go to Canada, just get your papers, but then come to New York. And so I would sign up for those. I would come to Canada. And then from Canada, I had to apply for the American visa from there. And it was approved within 15 days, which is, again, unheard of. Usually those work visas take a lot longer. I interviewed there. And then end of early March 2006, I flew to LaGuardia from Toronto. And I, as I saw the landscape and I saw Manhattan from the airplane. I never, ever thought that I would see the land of the USA. And I just sat there and like, you know, and so I got there and my boss came to pick me up. What year was this and how old were you? 2006, I was 29. And my boss came to pick me up. And then the next day, the girl that I was in love with would come. We would pick an apartment together. We already had lots of issues right when we met in person. Like Um, what? She wanted to get married right away because her parents were going to Africa for a mission trip or a long-term mission. Now, these guys were not part of the family. This was a church in New Mexico for sending them to Africa. And she wanted to get married before it. So they were leaving the 1st of June. And so she wanted to get married in April. So we kind of rushed through all of that. And then uh, we had issues where we disagreed on a lot of things, especially when it came to finance. She had a lot of anger issues, like tremendous anger issues. And I was really trying to get away. And when we got engaged in March to get married in April, 
you know, people would say, hey, didn't that, uh, uh, you know, sound or sound the wrong bell? And said, no, I mean, India, you know, it's normal to get married within a week uh, after meeting somebody or yeah, arrange marriages. And so it, it never, never, ever triggered anything for me. So that was not a problem at all. Wow. I don't know about you guys, but Gigi's story is blowing my mind. Please stay tuned for the next week's episode where we finish his incredible story. You do not want to miss the ending. It is motivational. It is miraculous. It is inspirational. And honestly, just listening to how he has defied all the odds that were presented to him in life. I mean, it just makes me feel like nothing can stop me. Nothing can hold me back. I hope that you guys are getting inspired by this. We love you. We are so thankful that you tune into us every week. If you are enjoying it, please rate us, review, like it, download it, share it. We love you. See you again next week.